Welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Betsy Timboom, Promise of God by Mike Evans, with permission from Time Worthy Books. And we are on Chapter 11. For the remainder of the summer, life followed a typical and much calmer pattern. Our day began each morning with our family gathered for breakfast around the dining room table. Afterwards, Papa read from the Bible and we prayed, always including a request for the peace of Jerusalem and a blessing on the Jews. Then I followed Papa downstairs to the shop where Mama, Aunt Annie, Corey, and Noli tended to the house. William helped him with some of the tasks and ran errands to the market for the merchants in the Grote Mark. But for the most part, he was left to himself, which usually meant reading a book in his room or playing sports in the alley with the kids from the street behind the house. In the fall, that routine changed as William, Noli, and Corey returned to school. But for the next several years, we followed that basic pattern, awaken, breakfast, devotions, and the task of the day. The shop was open on Saturdays, but Sundays were a day of worship and rest. We attended at St. Bavo Cathedral, about a block from our house. Papa thought the ministers who served there were far too theologically liberal, and left to his own devices, he would have attended church somewhere else. But he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to attend St. Bavo. So every Sunday morning we put on our finest clothes and walked up the street to sit in what Papa called the Great Stone Edifice. During the warmer months, spring, summer, and early fall, I attended those services. But as winter approached, I stayed home to avoid exposure to illnesses that typically emerged during our coldest weather. Dr. Trump had been correct in his assessment of my condition. With regular doses of liver extract formula he created, I was able to maintain a normal and careful lifestyle. As the years passed, Corey grew from a little girl always underfoot to a young lady on the verge of blossoming into adulthood. About that same time, she began spending time in the afternoon with a friend from class named Emma Shooten. The Shootons lived about four blocks from us in an apartment above Mr. Shooten's butcher shop. Every afternoon, Corey and Emma would come to the house for a snack, and then they would sit at the dining room table or up on the rooftop amid Mama's flowers and talk, mostly about the romance novels they were reading. Emma's mother loved romance novels, and that's how Emma got interested in them. She, in turn, convinced Corey to read one, and after that, Corey had her head in one of those cheap paperback books all the time. I once tried reading one of them just to see what it was like, but I only made it through three paragraphs before tossing the book aside. The writing was trite, the characterization thin, and the promise non-existence, the sole point being a cheap and tawdry appeal to one's otherwise restrained and inhibited interest. When Corey wasn't reading, she was daydreaming about a life that reflected events and values in those stories. In short, she was a typical, impulsive, self-absorbed teenager. Late one afternoon, I found her in a room, stretched across the bed, reading yet another of Emma's novels. Being an older sister and quite certain I knew how to order the lives of those around me, I confronted her on the matter. You spend a lot of time reading those books. They're fun, and besides, it helps me. Helps you with what? Well, she explained, this one's written in German, so reading it helps me learn that language. Papa insisted we all learn at least one other language besides our native Dutch. I learned English, as had Mama, and Corey took German lessons from a woman who lived three blocks over who taught her in conversational style, not by textbook. It was great for conversation, but not much help with reading. 
And if the romance novels forced her to perfect her language skills, that much was a good thing. So I switched tactics. How much time do you spend reading the Bible? Enough, Corey replied, turning away to focus on the novel. Papa reads to us morning, noon, and night. The tone of her voice made me bristle, and I forced myself to keep quiet. I stood there trying to think of what to say next, but she was absorbed in the book, so I found an excuse to leave the room. By then, Noli was in her final year of secondary school. William was attending the university in Leyden, where he was studying for a career as a clergyman. One weekend in November, he came home for a visit and brought a friend named Carol. They were both first-year students, which meant Carol was five or six years older than Corey. Later in life, an age difference of that amount might mean very little. Plenty of men married women four or five years younger than themselves. But when one is 14 and the other is 19 or 20, it's a disparity, not only of age, but of temperament and interest, a disparity too great to ignore. It's also a difference an adult would notice immediately, but a 14-year-old of the opposite sex might not readily perceive. Corey perceived it not at all and spent the weekend following from room to room, staring up at him with the big brown eyes as, as if lost in some romance novel trance. When she wasn't tagging along with William and Carol, she was in the kitchen with Mama talking about him. I heard them from my desk downstairs in the shop, and after supper, when William and Carol were studying, she came to my room and talked about him until bedtime. But if Corey was so self-absorbed, Carol was self-centered. At that age, Corey's worldview was defined only by her own interests. She was not uncaring or malicious. She was simply and totally preoccupied with the world as she and Emma wanted it to be, and as they found it in those romance novels. Carol, on the other hand, was manipulative, duplicitous, and attuned only to the personal advantage he could gain from the situations he encountered. This attitude appeared in the way he served himself first at the table, reaching for a bowl without passing it to others, insisting on the softest pillow at night and appropriating the most comfortable chair. On Saturday afternoon, we sat in the parlor playing the piano and singing. All the chairs were taken. When I entered the room, he remained seated, refusing to offer his place to me. But when Mama arrived... He was ever so solicitous of her. She was, after all, the one who cooked and cleaned for him while she was our guest. These were little things, of course, and easily dismissed or explained. But they bothered me, and because of them I came to a very low opinion of him. Even those first few days he was with us. In the beginning I thought it was more to do with me being irritated by the disruption a guest brought to our daily routine. But the more I observed, the more convinced I became that I was right. He was conniving, manipulative, and sneaky. I never liked people who were sneaky. Late that Sunday afternoon, William and Carol boarded the train for the return trip to Leiden. They were gone, and I was glad of it. Seeing William was always a treat, but I endured all of Carol's manners from him and all the Carol talk from Corey that I could stand. I was looking forward to a few hours of peace and quiet at the house. But no sooner were they gone than Corey launched into another long-winded account of the virtues of Carol. And not just one afternoon, but for the next two months, all we heard from her was talk about Carol. I tried as gently as I could to raise the age difference, the attitude issues, and her ex obsessive fixation on him. But she paid no attention to my hints or suggestions. Finally, I did as I'd always done with her. I just listened and let her talk until she talked herself out. Only now she wasn't a little girl anymore, and those sessions took much longer. 
one morning after enduring yet another breakfast dominated by Corey's recollections of Carol's weekend visit, Mama called me aside. Wait with me, she said, and I stood with her by the counter while the others went downstairs. When they were gone, she said, let's have some coffee. It seemed like an odd request. We just had breakfast. I know, but we'll get some coffee and take it up to the roof. It was early in December and already there was snow on the ground. I gave her a questioning look. Isn't it cold up there? We'll be fine. I was just up there earlier and dusted off the chairs. Aunt Anna was at the stove and she turned to me with two cups already poured. Ah, oh, Mama smiled. Thank you, Anna. And then she opened the door to the stairs. Come, she gestured with a nod of her head. We can spend a few minutes together before you go down to the shop. On the roof, Mama took a seat in the wooden chair, and I sat on the old one from the kitchen. I could tell by the marks in the snow that she'd placed them side by side. I took a seat next to her and placed both hands around my coffee cup to keep them warm. The air was indeed cold up there. Steam rose from the coffee and ice crunched beneath my feet. But from all I could tell, Mama didn't mind. She settled into place and took a sip of coffee as casually as if we had all morning to spend. After a moment, I asked, What's this all about, Mama? I've been listening to you in your conversation with Corey. Well, I said slowly, we haven't had much conversation lately. Mostly it's her chattering incessantly about Carol and me listening. That's what I want to talk to you about. She paused to take another sip of coffee and then continued. I know you have chosen not to marry and I understand why. But that was your decision based on your own reasoning about your medical condition and the circumstances that posed for you. I don't fault you at all for it. But Corey does not live with the things you do. She is free to choose her own way, and that might not be the same as the way you've chosen for yourself. Mama glanced over at me. In fact, I doubt very much that her life will be anything like yours. I wasn't at all comfortable with the tone of her voice, but she was Mama, and I knew better than to give my emotions free rein in addressing her. What does that mean, I asked. It means she's not a little girl anymore. She's 14 now with only two more years of school to complete. If she wants to marry and move away, if they all marry and move away, and you are left here alone with your father and me and Anna, then that's how it will be. And if the thought of living like that makes you uncomfortable, then perhaps you should reconsider your decision about how to live your life or whether or not to marry. But you can't expect Corey to stick around this house the rest of her life just to keep you company. Is that what you think this is with her? Is that why you think I'm suspicious of Carol? I don't know what it is or why you're suspicious, but the thought did occur to me. And it also occurred to me that you might not be aware of your motives. Sometimes Mama could be so infuriating. I'm certainly not trying to keep her from marrying. Anger flared within me, but I stuffed it down. I just don't like him. You've made that quite clear. And I'm afraid she sees this as a scene between one of those romance novels she's always reading. Of that much I was certain, but I hadn't much insight into my own emotions about the matter. She does spend a lot of time with them, Mama conceded, but this is a matter for her to decide. She's only 14 years old, I snipped. Well, and I would remind you, at the same age you were telling me, that was plenty old enough to make the decisions you made about your future. She had a point, and I wasn't ready to concede that. That was different, I sighed. Not much. We both paused and lifted our cups to take a sip when the stairway door opened and Noli appeared. Let me guess, she said, not at all startled to see us. You're talking about Carol. No, I corrected with a snide tone. We were talking about Corey. 
Okay, Nellie regrouped about Corey and Carol. You two should be careful about gossiping. Mama looked up at Nellie. I thought you were in school. I forgot an assignment and Mr. Vanderbeck let me come home to get it. So you found it, I suppose. Yes. Then what brings you up here? Mama was in a mood and Nellie knew it. She glanced at me with a look that said so, then smiled back at Mama. Aunt Annie said you were here, she said quickly. I'm glad you two are discussing the situation with Corey. All she talks about is Carol this and Carol that. It's driving us all crazy. Does she not realize how much older he is than she? I nodded in agreement. I tried to tell her about that, but she won't listen to me. I mean, Nellie continued, he's an all right guy, I suppose. I'm not interested in him, but he seems okay to me. It's just that Corey won't stop talking about him. Mama lifted up her cup of, for a sip of coffee and peered over the rim at Nolly. Make sure you stay uninterested in him. Mama, Nolly retorted, what? why do you say such a thing? Because you have to respect Corey's feelings, both of you. She has shown you her affections for the man. And whether you think they are genuine or merely the infatuation of a schoolgirl, you must respect her enough to give him and her a wide berth. I was astounded at what she said and looked over at her. Mama, you can't possibly mean that you would approve of a relationship between them. Of course not. I haven't lost my mind yet. A mother could not possibly allow a 14-year-old to get involved with a man five years her seniors. Mama pushed herself up from the chair. I simply require peace in my own household. The last thing we need around here is for the three of you to get jealous of one another. She gestured with a wave of her hand. Come on, both of you. Time for us to get busy. Well, that's the end of that chapter, and next time it'll be chapter 12. I love you, I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.